This is Kristen Nicole Young, and you're listening to the Headbands and Hard Truth Podcast. the series. So we are going to just dive right in. This is part seven of the end time series. If you haven't watched the last six parts of it, you should go back and watch it on this channel and um, share like all the things. So anyway, let's get started. Okay. So with this session, we're going to start talking about um, there has obviously been a gap between um, the 69th week and the 70th week. Now, you have to go back, so hopefully you've watched all the sessions, but in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel was told that there were 70 weeks decreed for his people, so the Jewish people, and that 69 of them would pass, um, the, they would start with a decree that would be issued to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, okay, so that would begin the 69 weeks, and they would end with Jesus coming into Jerusalem to be crucified. So the 69 weeks began whenever King Artaxerxes of Persia uh, issued a decree for the Jewish people to go back and to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, okay, and that was in 444 B.C., and then it ended, so that 69 weeks, which was 483 years, ended whenever Jesus came into Jerusalem on uh, Palm Sunday to be crucified, okay? So, 69 weeks have passed. Now we're waiting on this 70th week to begin. So, in the last session, we just talked about there are some things that have to happen before that 70th week begins. And we know that that 70th week begins with the signing of the covenant of death, okay, where the Antichrist will sign a treaty, a covenant with the Jewish people. And, um, and that will be a, a, a covenant for one week, but we understand the week to be weeks of, um, a week of years, not a week of days. So seven years, not seven days, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's just, that's where we are. And so now we wanna talk about why has there been the gap, okay? So we gotta have some background information. And the first thing we're gonna look at is John 1, 11. I'll read that. Okay. John 1, 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Okay, so who is he? It's Jesus. Jesus came to his people, who? The Hebrew people, and they did not receive him. Okay, he came as the Messiah. He came as God's provision, the sacrificial lamb, um, where they would no longer need the sacrificial system because he, he would become the sacrifice once for all time. And he came, and his people did not receive him, okay? So when you know and understand, that's part of our background information for understanding why is there this gap, okay? So he comes, he's rejected by his people, um, and so then the second thing we see uh, as background information is that then, because they rejected him as their Messiah, they then experienced the curses that God had laid out in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 58 to 64. Now, we're not going to read all of that, but I would recommend that you go and read that. Um, and basically what that is, is it's all the curses that if they did not obey the Lord, that would come upon them, okay? And ultimately, at the end of that passage, the ultimate curse 
would be, would be that they would be torn from their land. They would be scattered, that God would scatter them all over the world. He would make them leave their land. Um, and so they experienced that. Because they rejected Jesus as their Messiah, then we see in 70 AD, which was obviously after Jesus was crucified, um, that then the Jewish people were scattered all over the world. It's called the diaspora. Okay, they were dispersed. They were scattered, and, and destroyed, right? And yes, and the temple was destroyed um, again. Once again, the second temple it was destroyed in 70 A.D. and um, and God, He made good on His promise. You know, He had told them, "If you obey Me, you'll be blessed. If you disobey Me, these curses are going to come upon you, and you're going to be." scattered from your land and that's indeed what happened so uh so the background information we're seeing here is that they didn't they they rejected jesus then god um uh he scattered them from their land they had to leave it and then the the next thing we need to know and understand is that god then he extended his kingdom to the gentiles to make israel jealous okay so do you want to you want to read that it's uh, so in romans 10 Verses 16 to 21, we see this. And going to read that. It says, But they have, not, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Okay, so hopefully through that passage, you're seeing that what what God does then, okay, because... The people rejected Jesus, and then God scattered them from their land, and then God said, you know what? Basically, I'm paraphrasing here, if you're going to reject me, then I'm going to offer salvation to these other people. And, and, and to do what? Not He's not being spiteful, but he's doing it to make them jealous, okay? And not in a bad way, but in a productive way, mm-hmm. because they need to understand what they lost. They were the people of God. They were the people who were called out, um, delivered from bondage in Egypt. They were given the covenants. They were given the promises. They were given the commandments. All these things, the law, they were given that. They were called out as God's people. And that's, that's no small thing, okay? And then they reject him and they disobey him. And then so God says, you know, I'm going to offer my salvation to the Gentiles, Okay, um, and again, for the purpose of making Israel jealous, to help them understand what they had done, mm-hmm. so that hopefully they would come back, right? That they would return to the Lord. Okay, um, and so then the next thing um, that we see in Romans chapter eleven, and there's a lot here, um, but it's 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 worth reading. So Romans chapter eleven verses one through twelve, and then verses twenty five to twenty seven. You want to read all that yeah. too? Okay. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? 
Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself thout seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And then 25 to 27. Mm -hmm. 25. Uh, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will take this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Okay, so I would recommend that you go back on your own and read that as well. There's a lot of really good stuff there um, that you probably just want to take some time to just kind of soak in. Um, and basically what God, what we're saying here, what is being said here is that God has not forgotten his covenant with his people. Okay. The people that rejected Jesus, the people that disobeyed him, the, the people that over and over and over spurned him and worshiped other gods instead of him, those people, um, he has not forgotten them. And because he's a promise keeping God, he's a covenant keeping God. And he will never, he will never break that covenant with Israel. So, Basically, he's going to come back around, okay? Right now, salvation is being offered to the Gentiles. and um, But there will come a time in the last days where he will come back to his people, Israel, to say, I have not forgotten you, okay? And he will draw them to himself and help them see and understand that Jesus really is and was the Messiah, okay? So that's our background information. Okay, and again, the question that we're asking here is why has there been a gap between the 69th and 70th week? And so with that background information, we're beginning to understand that uh, there's a twofold answer, okay? Because one, God is giving, their, there's time, he's allowing there to be time to offer salvation to the Gentiles and to make Israel jealous, okay? So it's a twofold answer. We see a gap in the graciousness of God, okay, that's who God is. He's a God of grace and mercy, and in his graciousness and in his mercy, he said, you know what, I'm going to offer salvation to the Gentiles, but I'm also going to, in that, make my people jealous. Again, it's not out of spite and, and, and in a wrong way of making them jealous, it's in a productive way of helping them see what they lost, helping them see what they rejected, okay? And um, so that, that is why now we have this gap, okay? Um, and we're going to get into, let's see, okay, time-wise, um, 
there's a lot of information here today, so we're probably not going to get all this done today either, but that's okay because we, we will get it all done. Um, so what, what I want you to understand is that as we're talking about this gap, okay, that we see in, so we have to go back to the Old Testament, and when we look at the feasts of the Lord, uh, which hopefully you're familiar with, but if you're not, in Leviticus chapter 23, um, that is kind of a one-stop shop for the feasts. I mean, it talks about them in, in uh, you know, several different places in the Old Testament, but Leviticus 23, it, it gives all of the different feasts, okay? And they are called the feasts of the Lord, okay? They're not the feasts of Israel. They're not the Jewish feasts. They are the Lord's feast. Now, what does that mean? That means that, that they don't belong to a certain people. They don't belong just to the Jewish people, but they belong to the Lord and to the Lord's people, which if we're a Christian, we're the Lord's people, right? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, as we look at um, the feast, what we have to understand is that the feasts were a, a, a prophetic timetable because the word for feast that we see like appointed times is used. Uh, that's the language that's used in Leviticus chapter 23. And so the word appointed times means moed, or that is actually the, uh, the Hebrew word moed, M-O-E-D. And it actually, it means appointed times. So what is an appointed time? Well, again, that's, it's, it's a time that God has chosen on the calendar to interact with his people, okay? Mm -hmm. Not that he doesn't interact with us on a daily basis. You know, he's always with us. He's, he's present with us. Um, but what is being said is that during these feasts on the calendar, that those are specific times that God is trying to give us a message, okay? And it's a prophetic message, it is a message of what is to come, okay? So, um, is that making sense so far? Is everything clear? Okay. Um, so, we're just going to start kind of looking at the feast. And the first thing that I want you to know is that uh, we're going to look at them specifically in a minute. But um, that there, we need to understand the feast on three levels, okay? It wasn't just, you know, a feast and it was a certain time of the year and they got together and ate food together. You know, that wasn't all there was. There were three different levels of the feast that we need to understand. The first was a, on a physical level. So, yes, they did actually on a calendar set a time aside and get together, and they had certain um, rituals and certain practices that would surround that feast, okay? And that was the physical aspect of it. So, they actually did these things, okay? And it relates to the earth and to springtime and harvest, they were an agrarian people, and so they lived by the land. They planted, and they uh, had gardens, and amazing, right? Um, <laughs> speaking of gardens, neither one of us are having very good luck with our gardens this year, but we were told it's not really a good year to try a garden. because That's the problem Yeah, the, this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of rain. And I don't know, but yes. So, so they, they knew how to garden. We don't. Um, we're trying, but we don't. But they knew how to, and their, their lives revolved around um, 
tilling up the soil mm -hmm. and cultivating the land and getting it ready to plant and then planting and then you know waiting for it to grow and then the harvest okay and so these feasts were based around those times okay springtime and harvest okay um, so that's on a physical level. Then there's the historical level, okay? And that would, it commemorated God's gracious work in the history of the Israelites. So, for, the, for example, Passover. So what gracious work did we see of God in Passover? Mm -hmm. Well, if they obeyed the Lord and they painted the blood on their doorposts, the death angel would pass over them and graciously spare the firstborn in that household. So that that's how God was good to them, and it commemorates his goodness to them, okay? And so all the feasts on some level commemorate God's goodness to them, okay? Um, and also to us. And then there's a spiritual aspect or a spiritual level, okay? Um, God's prophetic calendar of redemption through Messiah. So the spiritual aspect we need to know that in each one of the feasts, there is this spiritual um, fulfillment of, uh, of Messiah. It surrounds Jesus. That's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. And um, so we got a little friend over there. Got a little buddy. <laughs> um, anyway, so let's just start looking at uh, briefly the, the feasts. And next session... Um, we're gonna we're gonna dig into those a little bit more, but for for this session, we're just going to touch on what the feasts are. Okay, so the first feast is Passover, and um, there these are the spring feasts, and there are four spring feasts. Okay, four spring feasts and three fall feasts. So again, it revolves around springtime and harvest. Okay, so Passover, and many of you I'm sure are probably more familiar with that one than maybe many others because um, in recent times, um, especially, I believe that God is, is drawing his people back to our Hebraic roots, um, back to Torah, um, back to an understanding of the law uh, not that we are slaves to the law and not that we are bound to the law. Um, we've been set free, right, um, from the law, but that doesn't mean that we don't obey the law. And that doesn't mean we don't observe what God's Word says in the Old Testament, in Torah, okay? But there's been this revival. There's been a return to, and I do believe that has been the hand of God. Um, we celebrated Passover, and we have actually several times through the years as the kids were growing up. But, uh, it, again, it's one you're probably familiar with. It happens in the spring, um, and it surrounds, you know, it's whenever the people of Israel were in uh, captivity in Egypt, and God was getting ready to deliver them from that. And he was bringing the plagues on the, the Egyptian people. And Passover, again, it was when uh, the Lord planned to, um, he told Pharaoh, you know, he had, he had given Pharaoh multiple chances, and Pharaoh continued to disobey the Lord and to not do what God said and to let the people go. And God said, you know, God warned them that the, the firstborn would be taken. And so, but the Jewish people, when they painted the blood on the doorposts, they were passed over, okay? And so they would commemorate that, and it's the 14th of Nisan, okay? Nisan, that was the Jewish, or that's the Jewish month. Typically for us, it's our March or April, okay? 
on our calendar. And that commemorates the redemption of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Now, Jesus fulfilled the Passover. He, he fulfilled Passover whenever he came, his first coming on the earth. Um, he was our Passover lamb. He, his sacrifice and his blood um, will cause the Lord to pass over us and not pour his wrath out on us. Okay, And so we're so thankful for that. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the next spring feast, again, like I said, there are four. So the second one, and it happens right after Passover, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, The Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, why did they eat unleavened bread? Well, because they didn't have time for the dough to rise. They were supposed to, and it tells us in the Old Testament, you can look in, like I said, Leviticus chapter 23 is your one-stop shop for the Feast of the Lord. But we know that they didn't have time. Uh, They were going to be leaving Egypt in haste because God was going to deliver them. And they were told to gird up their loins and get their, you know, get their things ready to go and to leave in haste. No time for their bread to rise, right? And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread commemorates how God delivered them um, before even their bread was able to rise. But also, in the years that followed, they come. They came to understand that that um, leaven or yeast also represented sin. Okay, and Jesus talked about this when he was on the earth. He he talked a lot about sin and how. Um, yeast uh, was was somewhat of a representation of that. And we know that Jesus, there was no sin found in him. There was no leaven, no sin found in Jesus. So at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they would um, clean their homes. And maybe that's where we get spring cleaning from. But they would uh, be very meticulous. They would actually get even like a little feather and a spoon. And they would get in the windowsill and make sure that they got every single little crumb um, or every little trace of yeast because just a little bit leavens the whole lump, right? And they wanted to make sure that all the leaven was out of the house. And, um, and so that's what they would do to prepare for that feast. And Jesus fulfilled that because he was the, he was the unleavened bread. He was the bread that had no sin, right? And we know he was the bread of life. And so now we see that the Passover was fulfilled by Jesus. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was fulfilled by Jesus. And now we see the Feast of First Fruits. Okay. Again, all these feasts happen right on the heels of each other, just one after the other. So the Feast of First Fruits, it can be a little bit confusing, but hopefully it'll make sense. And if it doesn't, you help me further explain. Okay. So on the Feast of First Fruits, it was in the month of Nisan. So Passover was in Nisan, right? And the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then it was it was in the month of Nisan. It was the day after the first Sabbath after Passover. So let's just say that a Passover, let's just say it was on Thursday, okay? Um, and then Sabbath would be on Saturday, right? So that Saturday, okay, that Saturday, that Sabbath would be the beginning. That would be the, free, the Feast of First Fruits. It's the day after, okay? So it'd be Sunday. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You good with that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so let's just say that Passover was on a Thursday, which it could be on a Wednesday or on a Thursday. But let's say it was on Thursday. So you would look to that first Sabbath after Passover, and then the day after Sabbath would be the Feast of First Fruits. Okay. So on a Sunday. Now. Um, 
And what they would do at the Feast of First Fruits is they would take the first sheaf of barley harvest and they would cut it and they would present it to the Lord. So again, remember these feasts, they, they are based around springtime and harvest. So they'd already planted um, barley and they're already beginning to have some stuff come in. And so at the Feast of First Fruits, they would cut the sheaf, the first sheaf of barley, and they would present it to the Lord, okay? Now, how did Jesus fulfill this feast? Well, he fulfilled it because he was, now, I wanna save this for just a second. So again, think about the week that Jesus died. Passover, he was the Passover lamb. And then the Feast of First Fruits would be when? You would have Sabbath, you'd have Passover, you'd have Sabbath, and then that next Sunday or the Sunday after would be the Feast of First Fruits. When did Jesus rise from the grave? Sunday. <laughs> on Sunday. On, guess what? On the Feast of First Fruits. Okay? So how did Jesus fulfill the Feast of First Fruits? He was the first fruits of the dead. So, in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, it tells us that. It says that he was the first fruits of the dead. Jesus was the first one. What does that mean? He was the first one to ever rise from the dead, never to die again. Okay, now, people have been raised from the dead through the years. I don't know of anybody that's been raised from the dead other than Jesus, but, you know, you look in the Old Testament and, like, the widow of Zarephath, her son died, and Elijah raised him from the dead. Um, and you have other, um, and Lazarus, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but they died again, right? They died again. But Jesus, he was the first fruits from the grave. He was the first sheaf of barley that was cut, and he would never die again. And what does that mean? That means that, that there are more to come. So we will also be like Jesus in that, yes, we are going to die because that's part of life. Death is part of life. But we will be raised from the grave, never to die again. So that's amazing good news. Um, We're the second fruits. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We are the second fruits from the grave. So again, here we have three feasts that Jesus has fulfilled, right? Um, and then the fourth spring feast is... How are we on time? Oh, okay. I think we're okay. <laughs> uh, is the Feast of Weeks or you may have heard it as Pentecost, okay? Now, this is uh, 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, okay? So, what they do is they begin to count. They call it counting the Omer, O-M-E-R, and they begin to count, and uh, they count up to day 50, and um, then they celebrate this other feast called, called the Feast of Weeks. So, it's seven weeks and one day from the Feast of First Fruits. And what they do is on that feast, they will offer two loaves um, as one offering, okay? There's a lot of symbolism in that, which I'm not gonna talk about now, but I will talk about later. So at that feast, again, they offer two loaves of bread as an offering to the Lord, but they present it not as two, but as one. Two presented as one, okay? So how did Jesus fulfill actually I'm gonna talk about it sooner than later um, how did Jesus fulfill the feast of weeks or Pentecost well um, he sent his spirit at Pentecost okay and 3,000 people were saved and that began the church okay what did you have before that you had the Jewish people right you had Israel 
And then at Pentecost, you had the church that was born, right? And the Spirit lit the flame. And now presented as one offering to the Lord, okay? And that's how we see Jesus fulfilling Pentecost. Um, a lot of other things, you know, just the fact that the Spirit came, again, the birth of the church, and uh, and how now Gentiles would be added in to, grafted in to Israel, okay? So, um, I think we're going to call it good at that point, um, but there's a lot more. And so, on the next session, uh, on part eight, we will start talking, uh, we'll, we'll dig a little bit more into the feasts. Um, because that's, that's only, uh, the spring feast and we still got to talk about the fall feast. And the thing is, is that I'll give you a little, uh, taste of the next session. So the four spring feasts were fulfilled, like I said, and we talked about it with Jesus first coming. The three fall feasts will be fulfilled with Jesus second coming. Okay. So, uh, and interestingly enough, you've got the four spring feasts in the spring, obviously, and the three fall feasts, but what is in between summer and and a time of growing and a time of um, harvesting? So that's a little hint. We'll talk more about that. Look more at Rosh Hashanah uh, and Yom Kippur and Sukkot. We'll look at those next week or next session, um, whenever that is, hopefully next week. So anyway, glad you guys joined us. Thanks for joining um, and hope to have you back next time.